0: you know that we celebrated our first year in this place right here we call the center, and we celebrated our 50th anniversary of Pathway Church. And if you were here, you will remember that we took the Bible out of the ark and we moved it into this place right here. That every weekend, anyone who's leading us in worship Anyone who is teaching or speaking or inspiring at all is standing on the word of God. And on that anniversary weekend, if you were here, you may remember that we had a line after the celebration that lasted for over two hours of people who came down to the front to sign the family Bible. They underlined the Bible verse. They uh, offered a prayer, they listed the names of children and grandkids, and we said, every year on the anniversary, we're going to take this Bible, the family Bible, out of the platform and place it back on the table for anyone who has come in the past year, so you would have the chance to sign the family Bible. In the past year, 185 individuals have officially come to say, We want this to be our church home. 82 of them by profession of faith in Jesus for the very first time. God continues to work and move through you in this place. And so this morning, at the end of worship, anyone who would like, you're invited to come down and take a pen and just kind of flip through the Bible, find a verse. Write, underline it, write a name, a prayer, however you want, especially those in the past year who said, I claim this is my church home. And we hope that you will do that because we are so, so, so glad that you were here and you call this your church home. Now, if you have your own Bibles, I'd invite you to open them up and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. If you are new here this morning We have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount ever since the beginning of September. And we're continuing that in this morning. So I invite you to get squared away. And let's begin in prayer, please. God, again, we recognize before we open up your word this morning that there's power in it. There's power that changes. There's power that heals. There's grace in it. And God, we have a very sensitive subject matter this morning. So I'm praying, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will make these old, ancient words speak fresh and new to bring hope and healing to your people. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. This morning, we are having, I know, is going to be a very sensitive conversation for some. For some, it will be emotionally charged. I know this to be a fact. Uh, Maybe some of you, uh, you are going through a very difficult time in your marriage or your family right now, and so just the subject matter, thought of a message about marriage and divorce makes you feel a little uneasy. Maybe you're someone who grew up in a divorced family, and even today, just the thought of this coming up, it brings back some sadness and some old wounds that have not yet been resolved. Maybe you're someone who yourself was divorced. And in that time, you were a part of a church that said, kind of declared that divorce is an unforgivable sin, and you felt like damaged goods. Maybe you're someone that was married for a long time, but now you're a widow or a widower, and just the absence of that person with this subject matter, you just feel overwhelmed. Maybe you're a single person, never been married. And so this conversation, just you, just, you kind of feel like you feel left out. Wherever you are this morning in this subject matter, I pray that you get clarity on this subject from the Scriptures, and you have the beginning of healing, and you leave here with a sense of hope. Now, we've been studying the bulk of Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5, the weightiness of it, and it's sandwiched by two particular verses to really understand this. We talked about it in Matthew 5:20. Jesus says, Your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. That word righteousness means goodness. That your goodness and your relationship with God and one another and yourself, has got to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, the goodness of the Pharisees. But then he ends that whole chapter. Be perfect, verse 48. Be perfect. Therefore, as your Father, your Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that word perfect in the Greek is teleos, which means to be, it's a verb, to become perfect, to mature, to be made complete. In other words, you're in the moving towards progress, towards being perfected in Christ in all your relationships. And sandwiched between that, Jesus is redefining what it means to be a good person who's making progress towards being more perfect like Christ in all these relationships. And he starts by talking about anger. And he says, it's not about you being able to obey the law. Anger is not about thou shalt not kill. It's it's deeper than that, that a surpassing good person in this issue understands about love and forgiveness and the power of reconciliation. Then we talked about sexuality. And he says, a person who's moving toward perfection in this area, is not just about avoiding adultery, it's that you're learning how to subordinate all the desires of your heart to a greater good, that is the goodness of God. Now this morning, he's gonna talk about divorce and marriage in the context of what does it look like To be a surpassing good person whose progress of maturity in this subject. Now I'm going to warn you, the words I'm about to read, we're about to read, are a little harsh on the surface. They're a little harsh. So kind of stick with me here. Verse 31, chapter 5. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, makes her victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, when you first read it, it raises at least two questions and here 's the first one: I thought that 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 adultery is when I myself, who am married, engages in a sexual relationship with someone who is not my wife, but now you're saying my wife I'm still married to, she's the victim of adultery herself. She's a victim and she's a, that makes her an adulterer. going, what? Or the scripture recording said, is that okay, I thought that if I marry a woman who is now single and she is divorced, and now she's fully legally single, that if I marry her, that makes men adulterer? What are you talking about, Jesus? This is all in your in confusion. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus is the smartest person that ever walked on the face of the earth. I don't care how smart you are. You, you don't even measure up to the intelligence and the brains of Jesus. And when he teaches something, he has some real serious, deep reasons for why he says it. So follow along as we think about this. Now, the first thing I want you to notice that in this particular text, Jesus only addresses men. He's not talking to the women. He's talking to the men. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's addressed to both men and women. But as you noticed last week in the sexuality conversation, he only talked to men. And this week, he's only really primarily These two verses, he's talking to men. Now, why is that? Is that because men are just more deficient when it comes to relationships, and they need remedial training, and women are superior when it comes to knowing about marriage and stuff? Probably. (laughs) But I don't think that's the real reason. Here's the reason, number one in your notes. Jesus is addressing men because men had the primary power to initiate divorce. In the ancient world, if you were married and you were a wife, your husband could divorce you for any reason. And they could walk out of the house and leave you with the kids and no money and leave you destitute. And if later on in your life, you came into some money because your kids grew up and made a profit on the farm, or you went to Nineveh and you hit it big in blackjack or something, your first husband could come back and reclaim you and your kids and all of your money. And any other man is not going to ever marry you if they know there's another guy lurking in the shadows that could come back for an economic windfall and take everything that you have. If you were a woman and you were married in the ancient world and your marriage died, you were in trouble. When you read the first five books of the Old Testament, that is the law of Moses, You're gonna find much of them are for the protection of women. For example, Deuteronomy, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse one. If a man marries a woman and he becomes displeased, she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. That means sexual immorality, he can write her a certificate of divorce in your notes, this is for the protection of women. Number two, a certificate of divorce was a way of protecting woman, the woman. That meant she she got a certificate she could remarry. In fact, many of the archeology span finds, where they find these certificates of divorce, it actually finds written on the divorce, you now are free to go marry any other Jewish man. So here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, to the men, you have been dividing up the church, the sheeps and the goats, like this: that a bad person is someone who walks out on their spouse and does not give them a certificate of divorce. And you think you're all good if you can walk out any time you want to, as long as you give her a certificate. That makes you righteous. That makes you in compliance with the law, and that makes it okay. And Jesus is saying, no. You say, well, listen, I'm just not going to upgrade to, I'm going to give her a certificate, and you say, it is so much more and such deeper than that. Please hear this. Jesus is not writing new laws or rules in the Sermon on the Mount. He is describing... What a good person looks like in this context, the way they act, the way they think, and the way they feel about the true inner goodness within a person. Now, in our day, a woman, 99% of the time, really is the one who suffers the most in the divorce. I know if you're a divorced male, you say, well, not here. I'm telling you, overall, and it's even worse in this culture right here if you were a divorced woman you had two choices primarily if you got a certificate you could remarry but if you remarry you will be received as damaged goods and you will be one probably of many other wives or you could become a prostitute either way As a divorced woman, you were considered a sexually degraded, less-than-human being. The pain of of, of adultery in your life. In your notes, number three, here's the heart of what Jesus is saying in this passage. A kingdom of God husband will be more concerned about the well-being of his wife than himself. He is saying, a kingdom of God husband, in spite of the marriage not going the way he wants, in spite of not getting the affection that he thinks he deserves, in spite of the conflict, in spite of all that, a kingdom of God husband is always going to work and will for the good in the life of his spouse, even if it's not going well. That he is not going to suck into the culture of, I'm going to go look for an upgrade because things are going the way I like. That is what Jesus is saying. Now, let me repeat something. Jesus is not writing a new law. He is describing, in this case, what a kingdom of God male looks like in marriage. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, the questions are all running through many of your heads, and here's a couple of them. In the Bible, is there any place where there is permission under any circumstances for someone to get divorced? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what the rabbis who interpreted the law, what they had to say, and then we're going to look at what Jesus had to say. Now, we've already seen in the book of Deuteronomy that for Indecency, which is sexual immorality, translated into Hebrew, that Moses said is permissible to get a divorce. And you say, well, what about abuse? What about abandonment? That is covered somewhat over in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 21, verse 10 and 11, Listen, what it has to say. If he, the man, marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one, that is his first wife, of her food, her clothing, and her marital rights. Marital rights means conjugal love. If he does not provide her with these three things, she's free to go without any payment of money. Again, the rule, the law is written for the protection of the well-being of the wife. And the rabbis interpreted that when you have the vow of marriage, you're making a vow, men, to provide to protect and to engage in conjugal love. So let's put it this way in the Old Testament law, the Old Testament rabbi law. This is what it says. Divorce was permissible if the vow of fidelity or provision or conjugal love were broken. That's what he wanted to say. Now, the rabbis then would debate on how the vow was broken. They got to decide to examine the food situation to evaluate the housing situation to evaluate the the home life and provision of clothing they even debated and gave writings on about conjugal love and they had they had some thoughts about that the rabbi said that if you are married the man has responsibility to offer himself for conjugal love to his wife at least twice a week or she could walk out if she wanted to He broke the vow. If he was a donkey driver, which is the equivalent of a truck driver at our time, and he's gone all the time, they said the law was that the donkey driver husband had to offer offer to her at least once a week or she could walk out. If the male is unemployed, they said, you have to offer yourself, at least offer yourself to your wife Every day, at least once a day, or she could walk out on the marriage. Now, this is the rabbinical framework, just a framework of what marriage, divorce, and remarriage look like according to rabbis in the Old Testament. Now, in Jesus, what about, oh, Pastor, you didn't say to me about abandon or abuse. Let me touch on that. Abandonment was an extreme form of not providing shelter, food, or clothing. Abuse was an extreme form of not providing conjugal rights and love in the relationship. That is where they get that from that particular passage. Now, in Jesus' day, so that's back in the Old Testament. In Jesus' day, two new rabbis show up. Two of the most famous rabbis in the Hebrew faith Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, and both of them have their own schools. And Rabbi Hillel reinterprets, translates the Deuteronomy 24-1 passage. And he says that being able to divorce your wife for any sort of indecency means anything. That's how reinterpret. reinterpreted. So in your notes, number five, the New Testament rabbinical law, that any cause divorce was available to men. Any cause. And so they gave descriptions to very clear examples of what that would look like. That if she spoiled his dinner, the man could give her a certificate of divorce and divorce her. If she walked around with her hair unbound, not up on top of her head, he could divorce her. If she argued so loud that the neighbors could hear her, he could divorce her and walk out of her. Any kind of divorce was a new kind of divorce any cause in the Hebrew time the only problem was it was more expensive if you chose to get divorced for any cause not really breaking a vow you had to pay back the fedula which was the vow or the dowry or the marital money you got when you married this woman you had to pay that back and it could be a lot of money now this particular type of divorce was the most popular kind in the day of Jesus. Any cause, just any cause. And you know somebody in the Bible who used it. Over in Matthew chapter one, if you remember, we have the story of Joseph who finds out this woman he is engaged to is pregnant and they had not been together. And it says in Matthew 1, 19, because Joseph, her husband was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose his wife, his, his engaged fiancé, to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, that divorce her quietly, that's not just a description. That is a technical term for any cause divorce. He is saying, I am not going to go into court and let everybody know she committed adultery. I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to work and will for the good of her life in spite of what I'm feeling. And not only that, since this is a any cause divorce, I'm going to pay a higher price to protect her. And not only that, I make a promise to take care of the child, even though the child is not my own. We have an example of a man who's taking the high road in, in this sort of situation. Now. In this kind, there's this big debate going on about the cause of any cause divorce. And Rabbi Hillel says, yes, it is not a problem. But Rabbi Shammai says, no, no, no. This is a wrong interpretation of the scriptures. And so the Pharisees are having this debate. And over in Matthew chapter 19, they approach Jesus. And they're trying to test him, but really they're trying to trap him. Matthew nineteen three. they asked him, is it lawful, Jesus, for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason for any cause? Now, they know the answer to this. They know that Jesus has already said any cause divorce is not okay. He's already made that clear. And they're kind of saying, are you a Shammai guy or a Hillel guy? They know on this issue, he's a Shammai guy, not a Hillel guy. So this is really a trap And here's how it's a trap. Herod is the ruler of Galilee at this time. And Herod has married a first wife. He's married. He falls in love with another woman. Her name is Herodias, and she is married too, to his brother. Herod gets an any cause divorce with his own wife. He forces Herodias to get her own any cause divorce, and he marries his sister-in-law. John the Baptist shows up on the scene. And he's having a conversation with Herod. And in chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 4, he says to Herod, hey, it is not lawful for you to have her. Any cause, divorce, you can't do it. Somebody tell me, what happened to John the Baptist? (laughs) Now, it just so happens that Herod had been looking for Jesus. Jesus. And when the Pharisees heard that Jesus saying any cause divorce is not okay, who do you think are the first people they wanted to go tell? Herod. So Jesus now has a response to them. Back in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, he says, Haven't you read that it is the beginning of the creator made them male and female? And he said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He has taken us back to Genesis 1 and 2. And when God creates, God first separates, and then he joins. That's how God does it. Go read Genesis chapter 1 sometime. He separates the light from the darkness, separates, puts them together, and creates day. He separates the heavens from the firmament, puts them together in a way, creates the atmosphere, the environment in which you and I live. He separates the sea from the dry land, puts them back together, and creates the planet in which you and I are part of. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he's going to make man and woman. So he creates the woman, and then it says he makes he, make, he creates the man and makes the woman. Now, someone tell me, in the Bible, what does it say? What is the woman made from? Rib. But when you study the Scriptures and you read all these different Old Testament Hebrew scholars, they will tell you that's not the right word. In fact, many of your Bibles at the very bottom in the footnotes, it says some people say side, that that's the better translation, that when the writer's writing the Scripture, It's not creating. This is how the skeleton of the woman was made with Legos or something. He's not describing that. He is describing the intent and nature of God in marriage, that a man and a woman are created separate to stand together side by side. They have their unique individual identity. They are separate But they also are joined together and the two becoming one like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one in the beginning of creation. And what he's doing here, he separates and he joins. He separates the night and darkness and he makes day. He separates the firmament and the heavens and he creates this creation that you and I live on. And then he separates the man and the woman, the man and the woman, Then he puts them back together again and says, What God has joined together, let no one and nothing tear apart. Listen, this is a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful passage, it's about new creation. It's about shalom. It's how God takes chaos out of nothing and he puts these things together and creates order. He takes these two individuals that are chaos on their own and he puts them together and he creates this new possibility created in their life. And this is what Jesus is saying, number six in your notes, letter A. Divorce is undoing creation. Divorce is unraveling The shalom, the new life, the new thing that God is doing. And that is why he says what God has joined together, let nothing else separate. And this is why the Bible takes this thing called the marriage and divorce so seriously and seems so severely. Now, if you're someone this morning that's feeling heavy right now, you're feeling a little weighty because of the subject matter. I want you to imagine what the disciples are feeling right now. And we kind of have an idea in verse 10, they respond, the disciples say to Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, man, it's just better not to marry. (laughs) I mean, if you're gonna be stuck with a woman, whatever you do somehow for the rest of your life, just don't do it. I mean, it's just crazy. Jesus is asked another question. Verse 7. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And Jesus answers. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Here it comes. This is it, because your hearts were hard. Everything you and I are now reading the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about outward behavioral compliance. The problem is about a hard heart in your nose. Divorce is permitted according to the scriptures when there is a hard heart. See, it's hard heart. That's the ultimate problem of humanity. I will tell you, the problems we have in this nation, they are not political. It's hard hearts. It's the heart and the problems you have in your relationship. He doesn't do that, and she doesn't do that, and he doesn't think that. That's not the issue. The issue is what's going on in the heart. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus is saying and doesn't say. He's not saying that Moses says you should get a divorce. He says Moses permits you to get a divorce. He permits. He permits. doesn't say you should. If a vow is broken, he didn't say you should. He says he permits because of a hard heart. Now someone tell me, just think about this. The number one reason that people get divorced today, go look at the courthouse, is incompatibility. Notice Jesus doesn't say, Moses said, you can get a divorce if you're incompatible. doesn't say that. G.K. Chesterton has, I love this little statement from G.K. Chesterton. Can you put this on the screen? I love this statement. I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. <laughs> the whole aim of marriage is to fight through and survive the instant when incompatibility becomes unquestionable. For a man and a woman as such are incompatible. There may be the breaking of marital vows that you make to each other. That may mean you get divorced. But if they repent, if they have a soft heart, If they want to reconcile, I encourage you to work on your marriage. What God has joined together. But if they refuse to repent, if they have a hard heart that will not soften, if they continue to reject reconciliation, counsel, outside wisdom, if they continue to refuse to reconnect in conjugal intimacy in your relationship, if there is ongoing deceit, abandonment, addiction, abuse, lying, and stealing, it may be your only cause is to get a divorce. Now, I want to close out with some pastoral words to some folks because I know there's a lot of you that are feeling lots of different things. If you are married, grow your marriage. Grow it. Get to know about your spouse's day every detail. Cheer them on and encourage them on know everything about their life and encourage them. Well, the number one causes of divorce is when our communication is barbed with little sarcasms. Just, hey, why don't you go help your fatherless kid get their homework done? Little stuff like that. Now, four weeks from today, Dallas and I will have the privilege of sitting in the sanctuary before 43 couples, 86 individuals who just completed 16 weeks of working on their marriage. 16 weeks. They all started in different places. Some started off pretty solid. Some started this situation of being just kind of of stale. Some were kind of rocky. Some were considering ending it. But I promise you, at the end of these 16 weeks, we have the honor of going in and just listening to them tell stories of what God has done as together they submitted the relationship under the authority and the love and grace of God in their life. And we get to hear their stories, and I can't wait. And then we have a chance to encourage them and cheer them and just kind of say, way go. And I'll probably tell them again. That Dallas and I have a very, very, very imperfect marriage. Extremely imperfect. But I will tell you that my wife is one of the greatest human gifts that I have ever received. She is my number one cheerleader and my number one critic. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand marriage. Marriage. And have those two go together to have someone in your life who always wants you to be at your best. And so that means sometimes saying the hard thing that you don't want to hear. And when my wife is my number one cheerleader, and she's cheering me and encouraging me and praising me and believing me and lifting me up and saying, Add a boy and encourage me, I will tell you I love it. And when she is my number one critic, when she is confronting me and challenging me and in my face and on my back, (laughs) sometimes I can be a little oversensitive. And sometimes I can quickly be defensive. Am I the only one? But every time when I back up and I stop and I consider And I know who she is. I remember she only wants me to be at my best. And I love it even when she's my critic. Because I know she wants the best for me. So here's your homework if you're married. Your homework is to find some time in the next week. I would say two or three days at the most. While this is all fresh in your head. To sit down with your spouse and ask this one question. How are we doing really? And then you do exactly that. You just shut your mouth and listen. And not get defensive. In your notes, number seven, every marriage can grow because every person can grow. I know people who spend 16 weeks trying to get really good at something. I know folks who spend four years just focused on their career. I know folks who spend Ten years is so health conscious. Working on their body, working on their nutrition. They, I know people for two years go to radiation and never, ever, ever miss a treatment because they're going to get that cancer out of their body. I know some men and some women who will get really good, good at golf, and they practice and they practice and they practice and they read and they watch videos. They walk around the house practicing their swing. You wonder what are they doing? Well, I'm just trying to get good. I'm just trying to get better you take it so seriously and you won't spend a day working on your marriage. Every marriage can grow because every person can grow. It's just if you want to or not. Stop blaming the other person and you get better yourself. And we want to cheer you on. We want to encourage you. Get help. Get counsel. Pray about it. Pray about it together. Have some of your friends pray about it with you. Do that. Do what God has joined together. What God has joined together. I was visiting with a couple who wanted me to preside at the, renewing their, marital, their wedding vows. And so I started asking them questions. All sorts of questions. And one question was, hey, tell me the best day of your life. And I just knew they were going to say when they got married or their kids were born. But the husband threw me a curve. He said, when I was a little boy growing up, my parents, I just heard them arguing and bickering and fighting all the time. It's loud. And sometimes I would take my dad's car keys and hide them afraid he was going to drive off in anger. And one day he did drive off in anger and he didn't come home. And so now I'm living in two houses and, I'm being, and my whole creation unraveled before me my little world, and I'm shuttled back and forth. I hated it. And then after a year, my parents, surprising, took me out to dinner. And my mother said, how would you like it if dad, moved? he's 10 years old, how would you like it if dad moved back in the house and we acted like a family again? And he said, that was the best day of my life. What God has joined together. What God has joined together. What God has joined together. Now I wanna say something to my friends here that have experienced divorce before we walk out this room. Some of you were part of a church when you got divorced. They said, the married people are the good people and the divorced people are the bad people and you kind of became second class and you began, if you were that person, you began to question if God was finished with you and you were done and all you had left was playing B and C and D for your life because you messed up so bad. I want you to hear this. I could fill up this platform with people whose spouse left them years ago and their marriage ended Who at one time finally encountered grace. And when they experienced grace, they got back in the game. And now they're serving on staff of Pathway Church. They are elders and they are deacons at Pathway Church. They are serving with our youth. They are serving with our kids. They're teaching back down that hallway right now. They're opening up the doors for you to come in this building as a living testimony that Pathway Church is held together by grace, not by the rules, not by the laws, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, period. You're welcome here, and there's a place for you. You ever thought about in the Bible who is the most significantly spiritually person that was divorced in the Bible? You ever thought about that? I used to think it was the woman at the well. She'd been divorced five times. And when Jesus met her, she shacked up with a woman, a guy that he's not even married with. She becomes the first female preacher in the Bible. Go read the text in John chapter 4 if you don't believe me because he sends her back to her hometown after he heals her and the whole town is saved because of that woman telling her story of what Jesus did for her at the well. But she's not number one. In the Bible, God talks about his relationship with the people called Israel. He calls them his bride. And over here in the book of Jeremiah... Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. When they had been unfaithful, here's what God says. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. God called him on self a divorcee. God was the initiator of the first divorce recovery program. And it first met on a place called Calvary. And the price was a bloodstained cross, and he paid it. And this session, recovery session, is still going on. And the scripture says, where there are two or more gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them, and if you invite me, I will help you recover and reconcile to me and one another. Church, we all have been unfaithful to God. We are all the cause of him writing that certificate of divorce. We all need the cross. All of us. And any church, any church that says you have first-class citizens of people that have never been divorced and second-class citizens of people who have been divorced, that church is biblically errant and spiritually damaging to the souls of God's children because that is a lie from the pit of hell we are all sinners just a train wreck away from being unfaithful to God and if you need the cross this morning I invite you to come to the cross I invite you to come and receive his grace. Single, married, divorced, wherever you are. Because this is a place where anything is possible. We do not divide up in the single or married and never been married and never been divorced. It's just people who are just a mess. People who choose to live alone because they're so embarrassed of their shame. All the research shows that if you isolate yourself, you will die twice twice as fast as someone who's involved in community after they've experienced an interruption in their life. So first of all, you come to the cross. Second of all, you get baptized. Third of all, you get involved in community. And most of all, don't you miss out on grace. Don't you miss out on grace. And you can receive it this morning. When I walk out of here, this Bible's gonna stay here. And perhaps you come and write the name of your marriage right here in this Bible. Maybe for the first time, you say, we submit our marriage to Jesus. You're single, you're recovering, you're divorced. You come and you write it down right here. If you're brand new to the church, and you say this is my church home you just you never, you never have you experienced grace just come to the Bible and just this book is a book of grace and if the line gets too long we'll take it out in the crossing to get ready for the next service and we're going to have it out for the next three weeks so if it's long I, I I'm just saying whatever you do don't miss out don't miss out okay.